The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. To the house, This is unbelievable. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. It's a Mailbag Monday. So the postman is here, or postwoman, postperson, and uh, we're opening up the mailbag. You have been submitting your mailbag questions, and we love them. We love them so very much. Uh, You can do so by going to the Cover 3 College Football Podcast page. You leave a five-star rating. You can leave a review as well. Tell us your thoughts, your dreams, uh, what you think about the show, but then also include a question for the mailbag. Uh, It will get added to the big, to the giant bag of mail and uh, and we've been going through every week uh, pulling out some of our favorites and addressing them on the show if you don't hear your question answered here it is not lost in the void it will likely be answered uh, on a future mailbag episode so stay tuned gentlemen thank you so much for taking some time out of your sunday yesterday so we could get the emergency willie taggart podcast done you are strong for that um how are we feeling today on a monday feel like I've spent more time talking to you guys in the last 48 hours than I have Lynn. Yeah. We've been doing a lot of, a lot of jabbering. Yeah. I just was listening to David Coburn's press conference, the athletic director at Florida State, about the Willie Taggart firing. Uh, nothing. Nothing. Uh, it, yeah. Interesting presser. Nothing jumps out as like must talk stuff, though it does sound like there's going to be a lot of cooks in the kitchen. A lot of, you know, we will uh, we'll have a search firm. We will be leaning on our donors and boosters for their input as well. And, you know, this this could be an interesting little, little run here. No kidding. They're going to be leaning on the donors and boosters for their input. Isn't that what the $20 million is for? <laughs> right. Right. They just bought some input. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. Buying access, you- buying input. It's college football, baby. Actually, it'd be kind of cool to be so rich that you could pay $20 million for a coach to go away and be like, no, I don't care. Hire whoever you want. Right, right, because that's the way That's the way uh, people with millions of dollars to, to, to write that check for. That's the way they think, is that someone I'm, I'm else... just that rich. Something, someone else knows best, is the yeah. way that they live their life. 
Um, all right, well, let's have some fun. Let's open up the mailbag. And I, I got a, uh, this, this one just made me uh, LOL, an actual, an actual out loud laugh. And it, and it goes as such. Forgot my password and commandeered my wife's account to pull this off. So if y'all fade me, I'll feel super stupid. Okay, here's my question. Up 14 points against a top 10 team with five minutes left in the game. Who do you trust less to hold the lead? James Franklin or Mario Cristobal signed my wife's account. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, it's the first question, so I feel like we have to answer it. I was just going to (laughs) pass. I don't know. Uh, I lean... Franklin so far just because I feel like we've seen him do it more to this point. I feel like that might be instant reaction. I'm I'm going to stick with Mario. I know that we're coming off of a really, really impressive Oregon win on the weekend, but I'm going to stick with Cristobal here because I I've gone hard on Franklin for his clock management, but Penn state's won a lot of close games and during his tenure. So I'll, I will, uh, I'll go with Cristobal. But, have, I mean, have, have they won a lot of close games in his tenure? Uh, they nearly lost one a couple weeks ago, and they nearly blew a lead to Michigan, but Ronnie Bell dropped a touchdown pass. I would go James Franklin, too, but I think it's fair to – I'm just – I mean, I'm literally looking at this as, as I'm answering this, so excuse me there. But uh, let's just go back to 2016. That was the – that was really the beginning of the Franklin tenure. Joe Moorhead arrived. They got the offense figured out. And if you go if you go through that year, lost a close one to Pitt, won a close one against Temple, won a close one against Minnesota, won a close one. That was the big one where they they beat Ohio State. That was so they won a close one there. Won a close one against Wisconsin, and then lost that classic against USC. So that's I'd say that's pretty pretty you know that's that's good for the most part about about average uh 2017 beat iowa in that close one at kinnick stadium lost a close against ohio state which i do think they you know i I remember that one that was not ideal lost a close one to michigan state they beat washington by seven um in the fiesta and then last year, 2019, or let's see, no, this year, 2019. Uh, no, last year. Uh, beat App State in OT. Lost to Ohio State a close one. That's what I'm thinking of. That was not good. Lost to Michigan State again a close one. Lost to Kentucky in a close one. So, I, I mean, look, it's not, I guess that's the point. It's not a, that's not great. He's not great in close games, but I'd probably still take him over Crystal Ball. Yeah, I'd like to clarify. I, I I read I didn't I answered as who would I trust more. The question reads who would I trust less. I would trust Cristobal less. Yeah. 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 And, and Just, uh the Auburn game, I think, is sort of my what I would say is my exhibit A. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's I also think that that Washington State game is another exhibit. And the Stanford game last year. I think there's a lot of exhibits about why. I'm more willing to trust James Franklin simply because while Franklin makes some questionable decisions, he's at least, you know, 
he's won some of the more of those games. Cristobal has yet to win more of them to really earn the trust. Although I think it's a great question because it's not easy to answer. So congratulations after hacking into your wife's uh, Apple podcast account to get the question. You're leading off the mailbag Monday, my wife's account. What else are you going to do in there in that account? Now that you've broken in, you know, you kind of got the whole place to yourself. Wonder what, what else you got planned. What if he forgot to log out and then he went to Pornhub and discovered his wife has her own account there too? <laughs> Things could get dicey. I think that'd be awesome. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that'd be encouraging probably. Yeah. All right. Um, after this is a question from Clint Hawker. After the Georgia loss, I think it's time to start looking for a new defensive coordinator at Florida. I never wanted him at UF to begin with, but he built some goodwill after wins against Mississippi State and LSU last year. Who are some good candidates that could replace him? He hates Todd Grant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't like Todd Grantham so much. He's not even going <laughs> to mention his name. Uh, so I guess as as we approach it, is is the criticism fair? Because on initial read, I'll say that I don't think Todd Grantham needs to be replaced, and you know, the you, you kind of get what you're buy you get what you're paying for with Todd Grantham, a defense that starts the season like leading the nation in takeaways and one of the best in sacks and tackles for loss, and then it it has the other side, which is that aggressive nature can also um, hurt you at times. So, uh, yeah. yeah, what 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 is is there any any credence to this notion that Todd Grantham is not the guy for the job in Gainesville? No, this is recency bias because of what happened in the Georgia game. This is Todd Grantham is exactly who Todd Grantham has always been, and he's a good defensive coordinator, but it's a pretty simple equation. He's very aggressive. On third down, you know, he's blitzing. There's a good chance he's blitzing on first and second down, too. He's taking the aggression to the offense, and it's a pretty simple thing. If you have an offensive line that can block and pick up a blitz and is well-coached, you can beat a Todd Grantham defense on third down. Well, guess what Georgia has? And Georgia was able to block it, and Georgia was able to beat it. But most teams cannot do that. So you could find another defensive coordinator if you want, but it's not like there's a perfect defensive coordinator out there who is not capable of being beaten by Georgia. Yeah, I I, I would start this answer first by saying, like, this this idea that every time there's a bad game, someone needs to be fired. And it wasn't even a bad game. I mean, what was it? It was one score game. 24, yeah, 24-17. Now, late, yeah. t- late 24 touchdowns. Points. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and this is the same, like, and look, I, 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 this sounds like this guy's coming from a place where he never, never wanted to begin with. So, okay, uh, I'll grant you that. But, but just this year, Todd Grantham has put together great game plans. I mean, he actually didn't blitz at all against Auburn and forced Bo Nix to beat them and he couldn't. And, uh, and so I think Todd, like through most of this year, Todd Grantham has been really good. I've thought, um, and, and really impressive. And so, uh, you know, that's, I don't think you should fire Todd Grantham. I think you got a pretty good coach right now. Uh, but I don't know, like if you, if you feel like you have to fire Todd Grantham for some reason, um, yeah, you know, maybe go Jeff Halfley. He's the co-offensive coordinator at Ohio State. Maybe he wants to be the drop that co-name somewhere and young guy who's on the on the come up. Um, 
you know, the I was going to say, you know, Cincinnati's got a good young defensive coordinator, but they just put up a million points to, to East Carolina. So you can't really throw his name out there now. Um, but I don't know. There's a few good ones out there, but uh, I, I actually think a lot of those guys, the best ones, are probably the the uh, head coaching candidates because all the offensive uh, gurus are are already head coaches. So I think this is we're about to hit a, a head coaching cycle of of D coordinators getting hired. What about Kevin Steele? Yeah, I mean Kevin Steele's good. Yeah, but it's does Kevin Steele bring his Auburn defensive line with him? Yeah, see that Ke- Kevin Steele got f- fired uh, by Clemson after they gave up seventy to West Virginia in the Orange Bowl. That's when Dabo yeah. got rid of him, went to go find Brent Venables, and you know we've seen yeah. everything that's happened there. And I remember a bunch of Auburn fans when they hired Kevin Steele being like, oh, God, no, not Kevin Steele. I don't think they feel that way anymore. I think that, you know, offensively, you can get a coach in whose scheme can win you games. But defensively, there are only so many schemes. And there are ways to trick your opponents and make things difficult on them. But at the end of the day, it's the players that are going to make the difference. Like uh, an offensive coach can make an average player good on offense like an average skill position player he can get them find ways to take advantage of them on defense it's a lot more difficult to do that what about for the defensive line i feel like defensive line coaching can really assist in development at least to where it should be valued i think defensive line helps a lot of things if you have a good one yeah so if if you can get a good defensive line coach and you could develop defensive linemen, I mean, look what look what being able to develop defensive linemen did for uh, what's call it at Mizzou. Why can't I remember his dang name all of a sudden? Barry Odom. Not Barry Odom. Who Barry Odom replaced? Gary Pinkle. Gary Pinkle. There we go. I mean, Gary, look at what Mizzou was able to do because year in and year out with Craig Kuligowski coaching that defensive line, they were spitting out NFL players, and Mizzou's all of a sudden winning SEC East titles after just joining from the Big Twelve. Interesting that you mentioned Coach Cool, Craig Kuligowski, because I remember talking to Quinnen Williams before the Orange Bowl last year. That's who he gave a lot of credit to for his development and sort of, you know, him taking the the leap as a player. Quinnen mm-hmm. Williams, well, and and interestingly enough, like I think Coach Cool is, he's either a off field guy or he's out of coaching right now because I don't think he was recruiting up to Nick Saban standards. So. He might be able to develop, but it doesn't seem like Alabama was the right spot for him because he just doesn't recruit at the breakneck pace that Saban wanted. Mm-hmm. This question comes from Ralphie. If and when you ever sway from objectivity and pragmatism, parentheses, no one likes to bet the under for Nelly, is there one team that you find yourself frequently getting behind, like a personal dark horse or a wagon? If not, if you had to choose one, who would it be? So, like uh, the t- the teams that we just can't. I'm I'm interpreting this like uh, the teams that we can't help but just continue to keep coming back to. It's it's Barton's old uh, University of Residual Income UCF teams. It's it's those ones that you know, even though we're maybe not rooting for them, we might end up with a fanatic shirt from Tom Vernelli in the mail <laughs> because of uh, the way we can't give them up. So, uh, I guess uh, Barton. Who's, who comes to mind here? I, I think it varies year to year for me. And it sounds like he's talking about a team that maybe isn't necessarily the rocket ship that you just latched onto, but just a team you're kind of in, inclined to always give. 
with the benefit of the doubt too. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I, I feel like Wake has been a team that I've been been sort of behind for for a few years. Uh, I think uh, this year I've been kind of a, a low-key Louisville guy. Um, but I don't know if that's really what he's going for. I think he's he's going for like the siren call that sucks you in and you can't help but – Like more of a fan. It. Yeah, like uh, I don't know. I mean – I think, you know, I've I've gotten look. I've I've I, I, hey, here's one. I bet I bet uh, Nebraska last week. There's no reason I should have bet Nebraska on the road, but I just hey, I, I think I'm not alone on that one. I think they're the siren call for a lot of people, just getting sucked in to that initial uh, love at first sight that Scott Frost gave us, the butterflies in our stomach, and it's just it's time to. It's time to go make them earn it. Uh, so I, I think I've fallen into the, the, the Nebraska trap probably more times than I should have. Because I, I bet them earlier this year against Northwestern, too, and that didn't work out either. I, I don't know if I have, as far as a betting angle, I don't know if I have that team. I don't, because I just, I'm so analytical and objective that I just can't get past yeah, my you pragmatism. Do. Yeah, you do. You Name have, one. Your, your team is Service Academy Unders. Oh yeah, but that's that's not a team. That's a principle. Like I, I, I. That's not about the team so much as it's just about the trend. Like I've liked Baylor unders this year because they've you know they've looked good, and at times even when Baylor games have gone over, it's been more of a random circumstance than any just being you know anything wrong with my how I thought the game was go. But I so. Betting wise, yes, yeah, service academy unders. So I always, I will always have a soft spot in my heart for the service academies because of that. But just even if if we're going outside of like gambling, I don't know. Uh, I've always enjoyed LSU, mm-hmm. and I mean Colorado has always had a spot in my heart simply because growing up, like before college football was, every single game was on TV when there'd be like a few games every week. Like there was always that Friday game or that Thanksgiving game right afterwards where it was Nebraska versus Colorado. And since Nebraska was like such a wagon, like I was, you know, rooting for the, you know, the underdog, which was Colorado. And I just liked the uniforms, the colors, the logo, the fact that they had a giant buffalo running onto the field. And I just liked the stadium itself. So I feel like I've always had somewhat of a soft spot for Colorado, just as simply a fan. NC State. Uh, oh, do you go ahead? Yeah, NC State, and that's all, all proximity bias, and it has burned me many, many times. There's no reason that I should be backing or thinking that this NC this year's NC State team is going to be like uh, able to able to take all these leaps as I continue to jump on board the Wolfpack first uh, on the road at Boston College and then uh, on the road at Wake Forest. It was. It was, uh, it was just, I, f- I find myself talking myself into it and it's a hundred percent a proximity thing just because it's, you know, 10 minutes from my house. It funny and funny enough, it doesn't happen really with North Carolina. It used to happen more with David Cutcliffe when, uh, Duke was on the way up, but now that they've been normalized as a bowl team, which historically, even in my lifetime seems so strange that that's not there. And outside of the local, uh, schools, definitely LSU, and kind of Ohio State, though it had it never really happened in the Urban Meyer era. I was really that's more of a a childhood 
Uh, my grandmother was an Ohio State professor, and so I liked Ohio State a lot. And now that now now that things have changed a little bit, I, I feel those old childhood Ohio State fandom kind of waking up here during this season watching the Buckeyes play. Yeah, I kind of had a little bit of the Ohio State thing growing up simply because since I was a Notre Dame fan in Chicago growing up, I had to hate Michigan. So whenever Ohio, Michigan and Ohio State would play, well, we knew who I was rooting for. Any more? Uh... Everybody in the Mac Sunbelt Belt Conference USA. I mean, <laughs> love all of them. Yeah. I love every team. I love I every team. Yeah. Uh, and a, a similar question, uh, at least in terms of, uh, is is there any team that you've picked against? The question was, as a Penn State fan, it seems like each week some talking head has put them on upset alert, declaring their opponent is sneaky good. Well, guess what, beach wine guy? Minnesota, sneaky good. Yeah, certain media types seem to pick against them nearly every week. Glances at Juan Stash, Beach Wine Guy does. What teams have you picked against and been wrong the most? Oh, man. Um, First of all, let's defend uh, media sneaky good world. Uh, Penn State is, I don't think, I think people putting Penn State on upset alert is less about Penn State, more about its opponents uh and like what michigan state beat penn state what each of the last two years um and well not this year but yeah right no yeah i'm saying like iowa did uh nearly beat penn state uh what two years ago like i think it's more historical and and they have like michigan state michigan iowa those are all pretty sneaky good teams you got a pretty sneaky good team this week. It's, they're undefeated, so uh, I wouldn't take too much offense to it. Everyone, everyone agrees Penn State is a good team. Uh, they just play in a really tough conference in the Big Ten. Congratulations on your tough conference. We have respect for it. <laughs> I, I would say this year, the two teams that took me too long to really kind of jump on board with were Oregon who I think when I took them against, you know, our lock unity, I think was probably the first time I took the Ducks to cover this year. And I think they've covered every single game but one. So who finally caught on to that? And I think the other one, going back to service academies, was I was very skeptical of Air Force early in the season and its results. And I was kind of like picking against it, waiting for things to balance out. And they've kept covering just about every week since. So I think this year, Oregon and Air Force have been the two teams that have shoved it up my butt the most. Barton, do you have any? Uh, I don't think I have any recently. I mean, I feel like the teams that I was most wrong about early, I've, I've, I've stayed away from. Um, other than, like I said, Nebraska's burned me a couple times this year. But, no, nah, I, I don't know. I don't, I, nothing comes to mind for me on that one. Um, I keep losing... Uh, picking ECU games, be they totals or uh, back in the Pirates, and I keep losing uh, fading Bowling Green. Even though in principle, <laughs> fading Scott Leffler and Brian Van Gorder is something I still support. I understand that I'm uh, I'm I'm getting I'm getting caught and I'm getting burned a lot as uh, as we saw this past weekend as Bowling Green uh, won handily. I mean, is Bowling Green getting? Good. Have they turned a corner this season? Do, do not take 
beating the hell out of Akron as a sign that they've gotten good. Akron is horrible. But they were executing. They were scoring quickly. They took control of that game. Okay. Akron is the only team in the country yet to cover a single spread this season. Jeez. Uh, They held, Bowling Green held Akron, I believe this is correct, to 100 yards of offense. That, my friends, is remarkable. BVG. Good job. Good, good yeah. job, BVG. Good job, Wow, Bowling you Green. know what? Florida should fire Todd Grantham and hire Brian Van Gorder. Yes. Hire Fun. BVG in Gainesville and just watch as the subscriptions to uh, your favorite 24-7 Florida site go through the roof with anger. Hey, you can get CBS All Access now at the 24-7 Sports account to go and sign up. $100 value. This question, speaking of 24-7, Barton, do you see the Canes win at Florida State being able to springboard their recruiting efforts? Uh, The question comes from Huff27. No, I don't I don't think so. I mean, not that it won't hurt. It'll it'll it helps more than it hurts, but I think what who Miami is recruiting against, who Miami is trying to like what it will take for Miami to get up into the the tier that it needs to be in from a recruiting standpoint is to start beating not Florida State, but not even Florida, but you got to start beating on the recruiting trail Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State. I mean, the, the the schools that are taking the best players from the state of Florida right now are not the state of Florida schools. Uh, that's I mean, obviously there's there's guys here and there that are going to state of Florida schools, but they're those teams right now are are hovering outside the top ten, um, and so I, I I think it it's going to take more than that. You know, obviously Florida State's down. It would be one thing if Florida State, if that was a big upset, sure. If Florida State was ranked number five in the country, then all of a sudden, yeah, that's a that's a game changer. But Florida State just fired their coach because you beat them. That that says something about the perception of both teams. Uh, so I'm not saying like I've 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 got a ton of confidence in Manny Diaz getting things going from a recruiting standpoint, I just don't think that that is sort of the domino that you needed. Um, I think there's still, it's, it's going to be a little bit of a longer grind than that. It could help in that there seem to be more Florida state commits becoming not so committed. That's true. Yeah. They, they've, they've, they just, while we've been on this call, I think another one decommitted, I think they've had three decommitments in the last two days. Uh, I'm sure more to come. So Florida State is uh, Jalen Knighton. He com- he decommitted ten minutes ago. He's one of their top commits, um, running back. They already had decommitments from um, three other pretty good players. So Florida State is going to be a uh, it's going to be a popular commit list for other schools to be taking a look at. Uh, one of those decommits is visiting Illinois. So. <laughs> That that's a little strange to think that a player decommitted from Florida State to officially visit Illinois. So have we mentioned Greg Rousseau's name, uh, the Miami defensive end, on this podcast much? Because he had no. a tremendous game against Florida State. He's having a pretty good game this season. And as I was starting to uh, look into this question, 
I had forgotten that Jalen Phillips, former five-star, one of the top players in the country coming out of high school, UCLA, transferred to Miami. He's sitting out this year. So Miami will be losing some pieces of that defensive front to the NFL draft, but am am I lost in the sauce uh, in the wake of this win to think that Miami might serve? Like, things looked disastrous, especially when you consider the Georgia Tech loss and kind of the, the space where that Miami football program was this season, the loss earlier this season to North Carolina. But I'm I'm kind of looking at where they are uh, what's left on the schedule this year and what might, and Greg Rousseau, by the way, is a red shirt freshman, what they might be next year. It, I kind of am starting to have a little bit of a, a better feel about Miami football and the general direction under Manny Diaz. Is that crazy? Listen, I've been on the Miami's better than it looks train for a couple of weeks now. Yeah. That's I would, true. I would caution you not to get too jazzed up about Jalen Phillips though. Uh, he may be great. And he certainly was great as a true freshman. But since then, he's dealt with a lot of injuries. Uh, he has he, – he appears to be very um, – I don't want to just be discouraging of, of diverse interests, but his music career appears to be pretty important to him. And uh, I'm just – there's – I kind of I'm, – I'm, I'm, I'm very much in a wait-and-see approach before I sort of get excited about him as a – as a player just based on uh, there's there's some little subtle hints that maybe football is not quite as important to him as um as it is for a guy that's going to be um as as highly regarded as, as as he's been hey if chad thomas can produce a song on a rick ross album and still get like 1.5 tackles for loss per game so can jalen phillips <laughs> Hey, I hope so. We had it ranked high, so I'll be rooting for him. Barton sounds like a dad yelling at his son to quit playing that guitar and do your homework. You ain't going anywhere as a musician. You need to study and work hard. Get outside and practice. You, <laughs> I had, uh, I had a friend who's said that his dad spray painted a square on a tree, gave him pads and a helmet to show him how to form tackle (laughs) is the tree still there oh hell no uh all right this one is uh it's fitting for the week and fitting for the time uh the champions classic played every single year at the beginning of the season it is kansas kentucky duke and michigan state this year, with all—I mean—all those teams are annually going to be among some of the best in the entire country. But uh, this year, in particular, it's a very, very uh, tasty lineup. Michigan State starting as the number one team in the country, and they are going to be so. It's number three, Kansas, against number four, Duke, and then it's number one, Michigan State, going up against number two, Kentucky. Uh, always fun, always in the same building. Madison Square Garden is the setting this year. The question from Blaine W is if college football did a champions classic similar to college basketball to start every season, who would the four teams be? So it's the same four teams every year. Yeah. Oh, that's how it works. Yep. Yeah. Oh, and they alternate and it's, so it's like a, a three year rotation on who you play. Well, it would be, it would be Alabama. It would be, 
the idea is to have the four, like basically four of the very best teams in the country, right? Or yeah, the blue bloods of the, so, of the sport for sure. So Al- Alabama and Ohio State probably for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, I think not this year, notwithstanding, I think Texas is probably one of the other sort of primary blue bloods that I think about. See, I'd go and Oklahoma the, over Texas. And then USC would be like, those would probably be my four, but I, I could see Oklahoma over Texas. Yeah. I would go Ohio state, Alabama, Oklahoma, USC. And mm. people would be so mad that USC was in it every year right now. Of course, Notre Dame and Michigan fans would be quite mad that they're not in it. So they'd be yelling about how they've won more games than any other program in history. No Clemson. Just not blue blood enough. No, it's, I mean, it's not a knock on what Clemson is now. For sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, that, that is uh, a more. I mean, Villanova ain't in the college basketball champions classic, but who's been, you know, you can make the argument it's been better than any of them for the recent years. Agree. Yeah. This is, this is much more of a brand analysis than exclusively trying to get the top four teams, especially if we're going to be locking it in moving forward. So, uh, Alabama, Ohio State, either Oklahoma or Texas and USC. That feels right. Yep. All right. I like it. Uh, coming up on the other side, more of your questions and our answers next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right. This question comes from Nick Baker. Nick asks, my son is starting to show interest in football. I'm a Notre Dame fan. My wife is a Vols fan and alum. Which team will bring my child the most on-field success and happiness? He's two. <laughs> um, Notre Dame is probably more likely to bring him happiness, and I'm sure that's what you wanted us to say, and then you'll make your Vols fan wife listen to. But I would let him root for both because it's not like they're going to cross paths that often. And if they do... Oh, well, I mean, there's there's a lot of college football teams out there. Why, why stick to one? I root for 130. Barton? You got to pick one, first of all. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the, we're, we're trying to help this guy out here. You got to pick one. I actually believe that if you are looking for, I, I mean, I, it, I compare a lot of things to stocks. If you are looking for a a stock with higher upside. If you are looking for some, you know, retirement funds out of this deal that, that you can 
live the rest of your life off of, then yeah, Tennessee probably has a higher ceiling. Honestly, it is. It, they are going to cheat if they have to. They're going to do whatever, fire whatever coach comes along if he doesn't get it done. They're going to keep on churning until they find the best coach that can get them to a national championship. They've churned through some bad decisions. Maybe Jerry Pruitt Pru is the right guy. Maybe not. If he's not, he'll be gone in another year or so, and they'll be on to the next one. They will get the next guy. They will get him at some point, and that program will be contending for a national title. I do think that. I don't think that Tennessee is some, some team that's perennially now a middle middling program. I just think they haven't hired the right guys yet. But so the upside is there for Tennessee. Now, I, I that doesn't mean I would pick Tennessee because oh. I think you have you can get steadier returns. The the annuity is there at Notre Dame in that it's always going to be competitive. They're always going to be a great game day experience there. There's going to be the, the the movie Rudy is never going away. I I would probably pick ten, pick Notre Dame for your son, but just be uh, be warned at some point your wife is going to be repping a national title T-shirt and you might not have it. So what you're saying is Notre Dame is the S and P 500 index, where yes. Tennessee is that hot tip that yes. might pay off big. So, Absolutely. If you want to play index funds, then go Notre Dame. If you want to really kind of ride the market, Tennessee's your play. See, that's and hey, why you should be able to do both. Well, that's but uh, yeah, you got to diversify your portfolio. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go Tennessee here wholeheartedly, and I think that he's got it all wrong because he asked about which one was going to bring his son the most happiness. And let's be honest, being a college football fan is not about being happy. It's about being passionate. It's about the, it is about Barton, those swings from the highs of highs to the lows of lows to thinking that you're top 10 in the country and then coming in and nearly losing to Appalachian State in overtime in the first game. Like Tennessee will allow you to feel. And Notre Dame, that steadiness sometimes I think is a little bit cold. College football is not about the happiness. It's about these violent swings between happy and sad, and I think Tennessee will deliver uh, all of that manic love. Have we forgotten about everything that happened between Lou Holtz and Brian Kelly? I think there's plenty of swing to be <laughs> a Notre Dame fan. I can speak from personal experience where you're going from Bob Davey to Ty Willingham to Charlie Weiss, who's in the Sugar Bowl one season and then three and nine the next. There's, there's plenty of swings. That's fair. That's very fair. But it feel it doesn't feel as it doesn't feel as uh, bloodthirsty and and passionate. Maybe maybe it's uh, maybe it's that nationwide brand. You don't get them all in one place like you do when you've got the Vol Navy right down there on the water, boats catching on fire. Well, Brian Kelly had that four and eight season between ten win seasons in twenty sixteen. <laughs> Never forget. That's yeah. That's what I uh, I was talking about. I was trying to think about Syracuse going from a ten win season to now looking like they're going to be three and nine and four and eight, and it is the the most shocking drop off since. And it was interesting; it happened in the same year. Twenty fifteen, Michigan State goes to the playoff, wins the Big Ten. Next year, they are four and eight, and or they're three and nine. Three and nine. Yeah. yeah. Then Notre Dame twenty fifteen goes to the Fiesta Bowl. Next year, they are four and eight. 
Mm-hmm. But that, but even that Michigan State team, it was just all the close wins they they usually get. They just were they just lost them all. This is a this is an absolute plummet into like f- like flame induced death, like to Syracuse. Like this is just a bad. Like they're getting killed, crushed. Like no nothing positive about it. And I think the Syracuse job is such a. I mean, look, I, I I'm. I'm frankly not that surprised that they're have not having a great year because I couldn't put my finger on why we should think they're good last year or this year other than that they were good last year. And I really think that this is a shed some light on how tough that job is. Mm. You know, they kind of caught lightning in a bottle and they they rode it and they had some success, but that's a really tough place to recruit to. That is that's a obviously a the recruiting footprint is bad. Uh, I just think they're they're always going to be thin, and that is um, I, I think I'd be hard. To, I, it would be hard to convince me as a hot aspiring head coach to take a job at Syracuse. I think there's always going to be a better job than that. On that li- along that line of thinking, how about this one from Roll Tide Seven Forty Five, who asks, "Better program and better job, Penn State or Florida State?" I mean, it's the obvious answer is is Penn State right now because of how successful that program is right now and how much Florida State is struggling. But I think the deeper dive on this is. All things being equal, I still think you have a better Florida State has the higher ceiling. And that doesn't mean that, say, James Franklin would choose Florida State over Penn State because James Franklin has a good thing going. And he's, he's, he did the hard part, which was get the momentum going and get the, the train moving forward. And now he's each year it's progressively better on the recruiting front and he's got his culture in place and all that. And you've got to rebuild that at Florida state. And it sounds like the Florida state administration and, and infrastructure surrounding the football program needs to be taken into account in all this. But I still think if you're going to Florida state is one of those programs that you can recruit number one recruiting classes at, and there's only a few of those that you can do that at. Uh, and, and I think it, it is hard to resist the opportunity at, and I'm not saying Franco specifically, but if you're, if I'm a coach coming out of this clean with, with no ties either way, and I'm given an option, all things being equal Penn state, all things being equal Florida state, I, I think Florida state is the better opportunity. Of course, in this situation right now, all things aren't equal. I, I think Florida State's the better job. And for me, it, it comes down to simply that. I mean, they're kind of similar in that if you think about it, like Penn State had success before Joe Paterno, but Joe Paterno made Penn State into what it is, and Bobby Bowden made Florida State into what it is. So mm. they've both got the coach that made the program. But in the last quarter century, Florida State has won three national titles, the only three in its history. Penn State has two national titles in its history, and the last one was in 1986. Right. And the first one was in 1982. So I think that they're both great programs, and they're both great jobs that most coaches would want, and most coaches would give up their current jobs to have if they were offered them. But I think Florida State's the better job. Has Penn State won a national championship since joining the Big Ten? 
Uh, they had the, the in nineteen ninety four. They went uh, they went twelve and zero, and they finished number two in the AP poll. So uh, there's like the whole, you know, unclaimed national title in nineteen ninety four or whatever you want to call it. But it's eighty two and eighty six were outside the of years. Yeah, as independents, they didn't mm. join the Big Ten until nineteen ninety three. Mm. Yeah, Florida State, better job. I'll back turn, when the Big Ten knew how to expand. I'll uh, I'll, I'll definitely back that. Also, uh, Jaguars fan ninety seven. What happened to Syracuse and Dino Babers? I think Barton just answered it for you right there, my man. It's a uh, it's a tough job to win at, and you know maybe we should uh, maybe maybe we shouldn't have been listening to Chip, who was just driving home the fastest show you've ever seen on turf. Which, uh, they huddled. That's what happened. The on the Florida State deal. Have you are y'all seeing like the can. Kentucky people being like, there's no way Mark Stoops would take that dumpster fire. Like yes. people are start, people are trying to convince themselves that Mark Stoops would stay at Kentucky over Florida State. I mean, all due respect to Kentucky, Mark Stoops, if he gets the offer for Florida State, he is not. I remember when James Franklin was at Vanderbilt, people were like, oh, he's got a great, he's got a great recruiting uh, class coming in. And he, he's, you know, look what he's done here. Like, he loves the city. He loves David Williams. Uh, he'd never. He uh, he's not going to leave Vandy for Penn State. It's like, are you kidding? He of course is going to leave Vandy for Penn State, and I think that this is, and and we've like even I tweeted out a few thoughts on some of the potential coaching hours, and even like Memphis people, maybe it's sarcasm, I don't know, but even Memphis people are like, why would he leave after all he's done at Miss Memphis and what he has uh, accomplished. And, and the recruiting classes he's got coming in, why would he go and take that dumpster fire at Florida State? It's like, guys, it's Memphis and it's Florida State. Florida State is above the food chain on just about everyone in the country. Don't take offense. That's just how this world works. Yeah. Uh, so I just think that's it's kind of interesting in this time of year to see people convince themselves of, of you know, what coaches would be willing to turn down. Tribalism and recency bias are very powerful things. No kidding. Do you think that uh, – so the Mark Stoops to Florida State, I would say that that is something that can be – it seems to make sense for Mark Stoops, seems to make sense for Florida State, right? Yeah. Okay. It, I'm wondering if it'll play out similar to when the Florida job comes open. You know, you're like – I, I mean, I got to tell you, Dan Mullen seems like a right fit. Seems seems like that should be, you know, go you go on back. You got the Florida job. It's a step up from Mississippi State. You know, you were a coordinator there. But then we kind of got lost and we started talking about Chip Kelly and, and we started just sort of grasping at these other um, – we, we, we started grasping at all these other narratives, storylines, and candidates when in the end the – the eventual choice and what has proven through two years to be the right choice was just the one that made sense all along. So I'm almost preparing myself for if this follows, uh, you know, Florida state, Florida, if, if it follows the way of its in-state rival where it's happened, we're looking out at the landscape. Mark Stoops seems to make sense. There's, they're probably going to go chase James Franklin. And you know what? James Franklin might not go to Florida State. And, and maybe there's going to be another sort of big name. Maybe we really will get 
Uh, maybe Urban will just troll everybody and take a meeting or something or get something leaked out there uh, to, to be able to say that. But then, you know, we might come back and Florida State might introduce Mark Stoops and that's just the sensible hire. It's like the um, is what, what is it, Tom? Would that be Occam's razor? Yes. The simplest answer is usually the correct one. Look at that. But, I mean, let's let's look at it this way. Taggart got hired before last season, but let's just move that time frame back a year. Let's say that this is last offseason and Florida State's job is open and Mark Stoops is coming off a 10-win season. Are we even thinking about it? Meaning like he's just the guy? Yeah. Like he just won 10 games at Kentucky. Florida State's open. Is there ever is is it's like everybody in the world is like, oh, it's definitely gonna be Mark Stoops, if that's the case, right? Uh, I, I remember Thinking about this last year, thinking ahead, hey, if Willie Tiger doesn't work out, is Mark Stoops the guy at, at Florida State? And I, I, I don't think it is as obvious as that. And like, it might be to, to some people that might be enough. Um, and I think it is certainly a lot what, what Mark Stoops has done at Kentucky. But in the same way that Willie Taggart didn't appear to be the right solution even though Willie Taggart had a resume on the surface that was pretty pretty good, I don't know that Mark Stoops is gives me like a ton of... I'm not sleeping super easy at night knowing that Mark Stoops is taking over. I mean, even James Franklin at Vandy, he had three straight nine-win seasons. You know, Mark Stoops is, had, had a, one really good year, and he has been consistently competitive. I don't think that that hire, even after last year, is a grand slam. You know, it's a it's a maybe a solid double, um, but I think it's it's. I, I but I I think you can probably look at that from a lot of different perspectives and have a lot of different opinions on it. Fair. If Tua re-injures his ankle next Saturday, could you see him pulling a Nick Bosa? and shutting it down this season to get ready for the draft. Question from Put Stabler in the Hall. No. I don't think so either. Tua just doesn't strike me as that guy. And I'm not judging Nick Bosa for doing it. Nick Bosa made the decision that he thought was best for him, and clearly it's worked out pretty well for Nick Bosa. I... I could understand if maybe Tua would want to consider it, but he just considering that he came back to play in the games last year with a ankle injury and, you know, they were huge games. I don't see Tua saying, eh, it's not that important to me anymore. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I think Tua is, I mean, all, everything we hear about Tua is <clears throat> leadership, leadership, kid, teammates love him. You know, the, the, I, I just, and not, not that that's not that, that is a sort of some sort of negative mark on Nick Bosa for doing that. Or anybody that who does it, yeah. Right. But I just think Tua, the personality that's been cultivated for him or that he has cultivated doesn't strike me as being in line with someone that's like, uh, I got this guys, I'm gonna go I'm gonna I'm gonna take the rest of the year off. Good luck. That just doesn't doesn't sound consistent with, with who Tua has presented himself to be. Yeah. Definitely. Also, uh, Nick Bosa's injury wasn't it like abdominal, obliqueish, like a little bit. Uh, yeah. I mean, we're not we're not talking ankles here. You know, we're talking uh, like strange internal 
Got to get it right. Playing through it might be no bueno kind of stuff. All right. Do you think that after three years, LSU fans can definitively say that Ed Ogeron was the right hire? Or should we wait and see until how they play against Alabama on November 9th? Question from Kessler, LSU, 1518. I think LSU fans probably want to wait, but I think, I mean, there's so much about that job that's based upon LSU's inability to beat Alabama for most of this decade. And I don't know, if Ed Orgeron loses to Alabama this weekend, I don't think that means he was the wrong hire. I think that what he's done to this point and his ability to adapt and what he's shown so far points the opposite direction in that he was the right hire. That doesn't mean he's going to win a national title this year. doesn't mean he's going to win one next year or in the next five years. But I think that it was clearly a good hire. Yeah, I mean, being the right hire implies that there is, if it, if it shouldn't have been Ogeron, then there is someone, a, the soulmate for LSU. There's only one. Uh, and I don't think it, to me, it doesn't work like that. It's, to me, he was a good hire. I think we can look back now and say he was a good hire. Is he, was he the right hire? Is there someone that could have been better? I don't know, like maybe. But I think, and and I think if, if I mean, I know national championships are kind of everything when you are in LSU's neighborhood, when you're in that zip code, but isn't there just something to be said for having a team that plays hard, recruiting at a high level, winning all the games you're supposed to win, and being just freaking likable? I mean, being a guy that LSU fans love and relate to, I think all of that is is a, I guess it'd be one thing if, if Coach O was some um, standoffish, petulant, you know, media averse guy who just likes to hunker down in his office and watch film and then and, and 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 then now we'd be saying, man, you better beat LSU or you better beat Alabama. But I mean that Ogeron's like a man of the people. He is LSU. He is Louisiana. So I think there's part of that that I think should count in this. So I, I think he's good to great as a hire and how it's this has played out. Um, hey, could you have gotten someone better? I have no idea. Maybe. But I, I like it. Yeah, because if we look, I mean, I can't remember. Ex- Obviously, Tom Herman was one of the choices when they were going through the process. And I think Jimbo's name was, you know, someone that got brought up. But if we look at what, since Ed took over at LSU, what he's accomplished at LSU and that they're number one and they're playing in a huge game this weekend and compare that to what Jimbo's done at A&M and to what Herman's done at Texas so far, it's not a fair comparison to make based on all the situations they inherited, but... I feel like of those three names who I think would have been the top three names on LSU fans' wish list at the time, I think Ed's doing the best so far. I Even before the Alabama game, I can emphatically say yes, and it is because LSU – you know, you, you're right, Barton, like national championships, like that's, that is one thing, but how about just getting it done against the best teams in the country? So 42 games, uh, under coach O so far at LSU, he's won 33 of them, 33 and nine, pretty impressive. How about an eight and three record against top 10 teams in that time? He is already third right. in school history for top 10 wins, trailing only less miles and Charles McClendon. Like he is already doing 
like some of the best work in school history at winning the games that mean the most against the best teams in the country. And that right there, in addition to his character, his personality, you know, the way he's able to connect on the recruiting trail, like all those things to me, uh, they can, they can get slow cooked into a gumbo that says absolutely coach O is the man for the job. If a, speaking of HBCU Jag asks, if a bidding war erupted, how much would LSU need to pay to keep Joe Brady? Another question. Uh, if Urban Meyer told his agent, let it be known that I'm open for business, who would not be willing to fire their coach? So let's go. I think the, oh, go ahead, Barton. I, I, I think the Joe Brady conversation is really interesting because I think he he's gets a ton of deserved credit but he's still not even the like he's he's the pass game coordinator. He's not even the offensive coordinator. No, Insminger. he's not even calling the plays. Yeah, as, no, my, as I understand it, correct. It's Ins- still Steve Insminger. Insminger. Yeah, and so there's people saying like I see people being um, in my mentions, you know, throwing out they should just they should just go young and go Joe Brady at Florida State. Yes, like, what are we talking about? And that's uh, not Br- just in your Twitter mentions. That's been in the CBS Sports College Football Slack room. <laughs> really? Yes. I mean, a- that's that's crazy. That's crazy. So, I and and that and that means I mean, I don't mean that to take away as I do think that he you can't argue he hasn't been incredibly influential on their success this year. But he's still a 29-year-old who's in his what second you know, first year as a full-time coach in in college football. You know, he was with the Saints before that, and he was a analyst at Penn State before that. And so, I don't know what I don't know the answer is on what his. You know, that that's going to be a really interesting discussion on his market value because you you know, do you pay him a million five and pay your offensive coordinator eight <laughs> hundred? Like, do you do do you pull a a Washington who demoted? Um, uh, their defensive coordinator to promote Jimmy Lake. Basically, everyone was was sort of on board with that. Maybe Steve Insmeer says, "You know what? I'll take a step back. Joe Brady, you can be the offensive coordinator just to keep the staff intact." Because I don't think Steve Insmeer is out here trying to like job know, hop. Yeah, like he's. <laughs> I think he's good with where he's at. So he's on that climbing path that I will see. <laughs> right. So I, I, it's it's interesting. I think that's a really interesting discussion. Um, and I think he's, he'll be a hot offensive coordinator candidate, but get out of here with the head coach stuff. It's not that's not time yet. And here's something else on Brady, and I don't. I mean, this is somewhat contrarian, going against just the hype around him. This is a better question for somebody besides me. I'm I'm asking the question genuinely because I haven't like sat down and broken down LSU film and its offense. Is Joe Brady doing anything that's innovative and new, or is it just? what other teams have been doing and now LSU is doing it and has LSU's talent. Well, That's what I would like to add, ask some defensive coordinators. Is I, there really anything that he's done as far as putting that passing offense together that's got people like, whoa? I mean, what about Joe Burrow? How about the fact that LSU's offense is rolling has a little bit to do with a stellar quarterback? Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like, is it really like Joe Brady's out here out scheming everybody or is it a pretty basic spread air raidish kind of attack with a great quarterback and giant freak receivers like Lincoln Riley 
we've seen some film breakdowns. Does some mad scientist out scheme you? We agree. Yes. Yeah, I don't think that that's the way this LSU offense works. I mean, we we've been pounding the table for it feels like years. I mean, this is a team that when it had Zach Bettenberger and Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. and I don't remember who their running back was, but he's definitely played in the NFL. Jeremy Hill. Was it Jeremy Hill with that crew? Yeah. They were like a top 40 offense. Like, and that was the by far the best offense of the last decade prior to this year. And, I mean, LSU is consistently, in terms of yards per play, consistently in like the 70s and 80s. So this was a team that if, I mean, we've been pounding the table to just modernize, modernize, modernize. Les Miles wouldn't modernize. And then Ed Ogeron tried to dip his toe in, uh, didn't really work with Matt Canada, got a little better with Steve Insminger, and then they're, they're just, they bought in fully into spread RPO. And they have the horses. Like they just have dudes that if you just ha- or if you're just not playing with your your one hand tied behind your back, you're gonna kill teams. And so I don't I, I I can't I'm not gonna pretend to know the answer to your question either, Tom. From a you know from a um you know in, in terms of getting like deep into the weeds on it, but I, I think it's more of just yeah they're just do finally doing some modern RPO stuff. And they have players that are better than everyone. Well, now, to be fair, we could have just been wrong about those LSU teams. Because if we look at the NFL, the Cleveland Browns currently have both Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry, along with Heisman winner Baker Mayfield and Georgia's Nick Chubb at running back. And they rank 19th in the NFL in yards per game and 23rd in points per game. So Maybe Freddie Kitchens needs to hire Joe Brady. Maybe. Uh, what about the second part of the question from HBCU Jag? If Urban Meyer told his agent, highest bidder gets me, who does not like what is the what is the uh, list of coaches that looks at their head coaching situation and says nah we're good and passes on Urban Meyer? Not many. Although maybe more. I mean, he wrote down his suggestions: Bama, Clemson, and Oklahoma, and I, I think that's right. Although I th- I don't think Bama's as clear cut of a choice as some might think, just simply because of Saban's age. Maybe there would be more consideration for it. I don't think it would happen. But Clemson, Oklahoma, no. Uh, what about LSU? We just spent LSU, all that no. time praising Coach O. I think that they yeah, would. No. I think they would just stick with him. I think LSU is happy with what it has. I think Ohio State is happy with what it has. Um. Other than that, Georgia I mean, would would Georgia fire Kirby Smart if Urban Meyer was walking through that door? I would um, if I was Georgia. Native son. I mean, are we talking like in? I mean, I know this is just a thought exercise, but I mean, I think Urban Meyer is a better head coach than Kirby Smart, but I don't think realistically if Georgia got wind behind the scenes by power brokers that Urban wants that job, I mean, they're not actually like that. That wouldn't actually happen. Like that's not. Can can we at least just pretend Urban coaching Georgia against Florida in the cocktail party? Hmm. Would love yeah. it. Urban against Saban in the SEC championship game. Mm. What about, um, uh, would Texas fire Tom Herman for Urban Meyer? Maybe not, but I would. <laughs> and any team in the Pac-12 would fire their head coach for Urban Meyer. Yes. Yeah. 
Well, you know what? Utah might not. And that's I know that's weird to say, but I think Utah is very happy with what it has. I mean, Kyle Whittingham yeah. is Urban's guy. Yeah. Although, I mean, again, you, Urban going back to Utah could also be like, that would be a fun story. Urban returns to the place he loved all along. <laughs> not, yeah. It's not Notre Dame. It's yeah. Utah. Mm-hmm. Would Michigan fire Jim Harbaugh for Urban Meyer? Oh, Urban, no. Urban, Urban wouldn't, wouldn't take it either. North. Yeah. Urban would never go to the team up north. But even in a vacuum, I don't think that Michigan's going to fire Harbaugh for Urban, even if without the Ohio State kind of connection. Um. All right. Uh, what percentage chance would you give the Nears of making a New Year's Six Bowl, says Darrington Evans for Heisman. I like your username there. Go Nears, but uh, not. Too late. Too late. Sorry. I assume he's talking about West Virginia. Yeah, he asked that question on October 22nd when Appalachian State was still undefeated. And uh, and after the loss to Georgia Southern, I mean, buddy. Zero chance. App State now needs to get some help just to be able to get to the Sun Belt Championship game. So mm-hmm. it's uh, things have gotten dicey. All right, um, Tom, I know you've got an email to read. So Ah, uh, yes. While you're pulling, uh, I- do you have it pulled up? Oh, I got it pulled up. Okay, let's do it. Well, what did you want to go to? Well, I was going to say, would you rather fight 10,000 duck-sized elephants or 10 elephant-sized ducks? 10,000 duck-sized elephants. 10,000 ducks. Seems pretty simple to me. Because like oh. an elephant-sized duck could probably just bite my head off. Whereas 10,000 right. duck-sized elephants, I could stomp on a lot of them and kill them. The whole point of the elephant is the size. Yeah. That's the elephant isn't the exactly elephant a fighter. Yeah. Ten elephant-sized ducks. Their most dangerous weapon is not that big old beak. It's the size of the duck poop. <laughs> Devastating <laughs> to the local villagers when those ten elephant-sized ducks come around. Yeah, 100% 10,000 duck-sized elephants. All right, Tom, what's our reader email? Uh, this is from, now I'm probably going to mispronounce it. Uh, his first name is Achilles. His last name is Leah. Pakis or Leopakis, Leopakis. It's clearly an Irish name. Uh, Hi, Tom. Marilyn DeLum and a big fan of you and all the guys in the Cover 3 podcast. Over the years, I started noticing how terribly Maryland football fares against the good teams of the Big Ten. And since clearly I'm a glutton for punishment, I started tracking the results in those games. I narrowed the formula down to Maryland as a six and a half plus point dog. And the results are alarming or a gambler's dream. Maryland has played 24 games as an underdog of six and a half points or more in Big Ten play since joining the conference. They are six and 18 against the spread in those games, three and 14 in their last 17, and one and 23 outright. Their against the spread plus minus is an average of negative 12.14 points per game, and on the 23 games they've lost outright, their average margin of defeat is 30.4 points. I discovered this almost three years ago and started blindly hammering it last year. Thought I'd share it because of the opening line of Ohio State minus 44 this weekend. The trend will surely be tested. Have a good week, Achilles. That's strong research by Achilles. So that's something for us to keep in mind for the locks pot on Thursday when we're staring at Ohio State, which is now the line has moved to Ohio State is merely a 42 and a half point favorite. <laughs> so Maryland. Because the whole idea behind Mike Loxley, right, was he comes in and he can he can recruit the hell out of the DMV area. Uh, State of Maryland 
right now, he's got one top 25 kid committed, which is a little bit, I think, discouraging. Problematic. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see where. The... How's Maryland ranked in the Big Ten this year, though? In their 2020. Rankings? Yeah. They're, and, oh, wow. They're 10th. And by and by the way, he has as far as I can tell, he has none in the DC area. So I don't know, man. Let's get it rolling, Mike. What we're waiting on here. I mean, when you're when you're behind like Minnesota, although Minnesota is mostly head based on overall numbers because they've got twenty three commits because PJ just gets like a thousand kids per class. Yeah, PJ gets go quick. Mm-hmm. So there's so, always there's always that late Minnesota decommitment run or wherever PJ is. There's always like four or five guys who are like, wait a minute. <laughs> he put his <laughs> charms on me and now I've thought about it. <laughs> um so we're laying the points with the Buckeyes this weekend. I mean, it's forty two and a half points. I have principles in a conference game. I mean, I took what was Wofford plus forty four against Clemson in our expert picks, which I was probably just a J. Darren Darst, you know, point Made spread. Up line. He, he used the Sagarin numbers just to, yeah. to, to crunch but, it real quick. But, I mean, 42 and a half in a conference game. And who's Ohio State? You know, they've got, obviously, Maryland this week, but who do they play after that? Because this could be a very classic, you know. Pack it in. Yeah, this is they got Maryland this week. Oh, then it's God. It's a road trip to Rutgers the week after. Whoa! Oh, God. <laughs> oh Jesus! Focused, focused on the chat. If the line's forty-two for Maryland, what's what's Rutgers going to be? Like fifty. <laughs> I mean, whew, Rutgers, not great, not great. Um, Have y'all seen? So Rutgers is about to finish the season. Ohio State, Michigan State, Penn State. Ooh, buddy. <laughs> so I mean they're going to finish three and six in conference play then because you know they're on a bye this week so they're going to get ready. Yeah. They might hell they. What if Shiano's coaching Rutgers by the time it takes the field against Ohio State? I'm ready for Shiano back at Rutgers. I think it's going to happen soon. I think it's going to happen too. Yeah. All right. Well, you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. That's how you reach us seven days a week. The way that you can submit a question for the mailbag is to head on over to the Cover 3 College Football Podcast page, leave a five-star rating, leave a review, send us a message, but then also leave your question in there, and we will add it to the mailbag. We will hit it on a mailbag Monday. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves, demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop, make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil, the final season. Streaming May 23rd, only on Paramount Plus.